Hello and welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. The U.S. Open has been decided one by one. Wyndham Clark, the player who over the past four or five days, Rex, not going to lie, we did not spend too much airtime discussing it. He was the one who prevailed by a single shot over Roy McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler, Ricky Fowler, Cameron Smith, Dustin Johnson, all of those whom one Wyndham Clark beat. I will not begin this podcast, Rex, by bemoaning my poor airline luck. I should have been en route to the airport right now. I should be on a red eye. I should uh, have a proper cap to uh, my Father's Day. Instead, uh, I am not going to spend this podcast uh, lamenting uh, Delta's poor service, uh, the fact that there's now two cancellations in one trip, the fact that uh, I will not be able to get my kids from Dacre. No, I, I am, I'm a better man. I will not steal Wyndham Clark's thunder like that and begin our U.S. Open recap podcast in such a manner. I will absolutely not do that. And so I cede the floor to you because I'm, just, I'm definitely about to do that. Uh, I'm glad you're a bigger man. And I'll give you nothing but props on that one that you wouldn't call out the airline and the flight. You, you want to Delta throw a flight be, number in there? Just 500,000 to... points to make this right. <laughs> the, the irony is, is I went home on Sunday at the PGA and had similar issues. So, and, and complained about them to my airline who I fly on and was rewarded for my complaint. So I went full uh, crazy and they gave me points. So I would suggest you do the same thing. No, it was a, it was a interesting, it was a marathon Sunday, I felt like, for some reason. And I don't know why. I don't was, know why. That was because we did a hit. That was because we did a hit five hours before, five hours before the final group went off. <laughs> Probably. We spent a lot of time uh, not watching golf, just sort of eating. We ate so Hilarious. many meals today. Um, and you're right. We didn't talk about Wyndham Clark. And I was just watching. I, I actually had ESPN on when I came into the room and they, they were interviewing uh, Wyndham. So I turned it on. And the one thing they flashed across the sp- screen, and I didn't even notice this, like I'm sure neither one of us did. But his best finish in a major before now was a tie for 75th. And, and I got taken by the idea that I wrote a column about Ricky Fowler. You wrote a column about Rory. Uh, I'm sure they're, they're both fascinating columns and we both dance around the idea that winning major championships is hard but somehow Wyndham made it look easy which is amazing to me because he'd never won on the PGA tour until about a month ago he it was six weeks ago when Wyndham Clark won his first event on the PGA tour and, and look that maybe that was that that should have been foreshadowing you covered the Wells Fargo championship that's at Quell Hollow a, a, a golf course that has hosted a major championship back to 2017 PGA is going to be hosting a future PGA here in a couple of years. Obviously it was the site of the president's cup. Like that is a big boy golf course that really accentuates the things that Wyndham Clark does. Well, he's an exceedingly long hitter. We saw ball speed popping 185, 190 regularly. Uh, his short game and putting is above average, particularly for a guy uh, who has the sort of immense power that he does. The biggest stride, Rex, that Wyndham Clark has made has been his iron play. Like, he was literally a below-average iron player on the PGA Tour, losing strokes to the field, approaching the green. You never see a high-quality high player. Wyndham Clark has now crashed the top 25 in the world. You never see a player of that caliber who actually loses strokes in that aspect of the game. You look at Scotty Scheffler, John Rom, Roy McIlroy, uh, 
you know, Brooks Kepka once his, he, he was actually getting strokes gain statistics. Like those, those guys were all at the top of that category. And so for Wyndham Clark to make the strides that he has sans a swing coach, uh, I think is, I, I think it's actually proof Rex that for Wyndham Clark, it was way more mental than it was physical. He was an exceptional junior player, uh, an all American in college. Uh, he shared player of the year, honors with Sam Burns back in 2017. Yeah. Oklahoma state and Oregon, the biggest leap he has made though. I think the reason why he's now a major champion, the reason why he's now a two-time PJ tour winner uh, is, is between the ears. The mental work that he's done with Julie Elion uh, is nothing short of remarkable. It is. And I'll go back to the Wells Fargo. And I asked Wyndham about it this afternoon, sort of to, to sort of bring me back to the time last year when he kept coming close, he kept giving, giving himself opportunities and he came up short. And in his mind, he was a world-class player. Like he knew what he was, what he has become in his own mind. I think most, I would argue most PGA tour players do, but in this particular case, he really was like, you're right. It was a complete mental battle. And I had him take me back to that time. And can you imagine a scenario when you're beating yourself up and you can't win in Puerto Rico and you can't win in Bermuda and uh, the sort of these second tier events on the PGA tour. And now in a span of six weeks, as you pointed out, you won a mid major, which I think it's fair to call Wells Fargo and probably the toughest major championship of the year. And we still have to play the open championship, but I mean, this was a difficult demanding test and it started out with some record low scoring. And I think a lot of people sort of raised their eyebrows, but by the end of the week, I think Los Angeles country club lived up to the billing. I mean, that was, uh, I think Rory probably said it best that it was just exacting. Like you couldn't make the slightest error at all. It was going to take a toll. And again, I go back to, he didn't beat other players that we, we hadn't heard a lot about or other <laughs> players that, that wouldn't be on the marquee. I mean, he beat Rory, he beat Scotty, he beat Ricky, uh, I, I guess in a roundabout way, Xander was in the mix. I mean, he, he beat a marquee leaderboard, which it sort of just goes to the idea that how close is everyone else? I, I'm fascinated. I didn't write the story tonight on Wyndham, and I'll just go back to the Wells Fargo. But if a guy that, that we weren't talking about six weeks ago in, in any context can do this over the span of six weeks, how close are guys? Like, what are we missing sometimes? I mean, I, I'm fascinated by this. Well, I think that shows the depth that you have of the world's best players. Like, how much is actually separating? You, you know, look, I, I think Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm have certainly – and I think you could probably lump Roy McIlroy in there as well. They've they've separated themselves from the rest of the class. But from world number four to world number seventy five, is there a, is there a massive difference, or are those guys basically just a couple of tweaks away? Wyndham uh, Clark's case, he he altered the uh, lie angle on his irons three degrees, and that all of a sudden turned him from you know a hundred strokes again approach to to now he's he's top 25 like looking at his career arc it's 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 amazing like this is a guy who earlier in his career if you have the rules now like he would have struggled to reach the FedEx Cup playoffs now it's top 70 right like he has never finished inside the top 70 in FedEx Cup FedEx Cup points before and now he's all the way up uh, to four I, I I think I'm most curious Rex whether you believe this is a career year we saw it last year with Cam Smith. He won five times around the globe. He won the Players' Championship. Uh, he won the Open Championship. Uh, and he, although he had a good finish um, at Los Angeles Country Club, he was really not a, a significant factor, I would say, and really hasn't been 
over the past nine months. Do you think it's a, a Cam Smith type breakout year? Uh, and then, you know, it's going to kind of revert back to the norm. Or do you think Wyndham Clark at age 29 is now here to stay? Uh, he'll contend in more majors. You think he has the game to, he looks like he, for all intents and purposes, he's going to be on the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Like, what, what do you see? What do you predict? Uh, I, I can't imagine how, like, I guess you're asking me if this is a one-off. Like, yes, it's career year by definition. It's Is this is this a hot streak for this player, or does he have major staying power? And, and so the, the comp here would be, is he Marco Mira or is he Cam Smith, I guess? Because that you use Cam Smith. I don't know if that's a really fair comparison because we don't know what Cam Smith would have been if not for Liv Goff. Like, I, I think there's a... I'm we, saw what Cam, we, cut, we saw what Cam Smith was. Yeah. We saw what Cam Smith is capable of, and now at least in this nine-month window, right? Well, but we don't know. I don't know. That's not a fair comparison, I don't think. Because, again, Cam Smith is playing 54-hole events, and I'm not passing judgment on 54-hole events. Please stay out of my DMs on this one. But he kind of – he went in a different direction, right? So he didn't sort of submit himself to another season of seeing, oh, can I back this up? So I, I don't know. I, I see what you're getting at, though. Is it, it's a it, huge, huge breakout. It's a huge, huge He's not lead. Marco Mira, I, I guess would be my point. Absolutely. I don't believe for a second that this is going to be the pinnacle of his career, that 20 years from now will be like, well, you had yourself a season you know, back in 2023. I, I don't see that because uh, for a couple of different reasons. He, he's an unbelievably talented athlete. I mean, let's just go with that. I, I think you and I both will listen to Mike McGraw the coach from Oklahoma State this morning talking with our friend uh, Steve Burkowski on live from and talking when he recruited him, it was like, oh, I wanted that kid. Not even seeing him hit a golf shot. If you just watch him move around, he stands out among the athletes on the PGA Tour. So he clearly has some sort of skill. And now he has transformed himself mentally into someone who's so much tougher than he clearly was in the past. I, I like the clarity of thought he has right now. I guess my only concern, if I'm going to put any sort of caveat on it whatsoever, is I do appreciate the fact he doesn't have a swing coach. However, guys that don't have swing coaches tend to run into roadblocks at some point. And I would point to his exhibit A, the column that I wrote tonight in Ricky Fowler. Like when he walked away from Butch Harmon, and he did go to John Tillery, but he sort of got lost in the woods. And I think that's the tendency of guys who want to do it themselves, want to own it. Maybe Tiger Woods is the best example there. I mean, Tiger wanted to own his own swing, and he certainly got lost in the woods. So I, that's the part that scares me. But from a pure talent standpoint, no, I don't think this is a one-off. I don't think it's a one-off either. You look at uh, a, a talent perspective, a physical perspective, those gifts, those tools have always been there. I think he's difficult to project because he's had this mental awakening. And look, he, he suffered – some pretty intense trauma in his life, right? Like his mother died uh, from cancer 10 years ago. Uh, that led to him potentially quitting the game. He's, he's kind of fallen in and, in and out of love with the game over the past decade, even last year. After all the close calls, uh, he yeah. wasn't sure he had the medal. He wasn't sure that he had what it took to compete against the world's best players, adding this mental guru now to his stable. And she was telling him, Julie Elion was, uh, during the final round, like every time – you heard the fans cheer Ricky, and obviously Ricky Fowler is one of the fan favorites. Get cocky. Show him and show them exactly what you can do. Adding her to the stable and his team of coaches, knowing that he's always kind of had this crisis of confidence, 
having her believe in him and having them him believe in himself. Uh, I, I honestly, I don't know where he can go from here, but I'm not projecting any sort of of downslide. I think she is vitally important for his future outlook and, re- and could really take the ceiling off of this kid. Oh, no doubt. And and look, I'm going to do the, the sports radio thing right now and sort of try to project it forward. A- at the very least, I will say I'm I'm wildly curious to see how he fits into the Ryder Cup team. Because here's a guy that has absolutely no experience whatsoever, <laughs> not just in a Ryder Cup or in a team event, but with any of these players. He's not even he doesn't even particularly run in the circles of the guys that you would think were going to be on that team. So it's going to be very much an outlier coming in. This isn't Max Homa landing on his first President's Cup team at how was Max last year? 34, 35, probably, something like no, that? No, he's probably 31, 32. Okay. So this isn't Max Homa. Like, he he was in that circle kind of even before the fact. I mean, Wyndham's going to be very much an outlier. So that, that one interests me. And he still has one more major to play. He's clearly got the playoffs. I, I thought it was uh, – another player brought this up to me earlier this week, saying that he, in who's having a very good season. And he pointed out correctly – that he picked the perfect year to have a seat, a good season because of what we're going to become next year on the PGA Tour, where it's going to essentially be top 50 on the FedEx Cup from the previous season and top 30 in the world. They're going to have a very, very special, very, very privileged existence, and it's going to be hard to fall out of that sort of realm. And if you pick this year of all years to have a good year, you kind of set yourself up for success. Wyndham Clark all the way up to number 10, the U.S. Ryder Cup rankings, that's ahead of a player like JT, who's clearly in a bit of a slump. Tony Finau is 15th on that list. Sahit Thagala, 19. Ricky Fowler, up to 20. I think Ricky Fowler uh, is an odd, odds-on favorite to get one of the captain's picks. I could see, boy, it's, I mean, it's hard to imagine, even if he is you know, 12th on that list by the time the selections are made, that the reigning U.S. Open champion is not going to be on there. But I guess uh, form will dictate whether he does land ultimately on Zach Johnson's team. Uh, before we get to Ricky, Rex, who I know you wrote uh, for GolfJournal.com on Sunday night, let's let's talk about Roy. That was the player that I focused on for my column on GolfJournal.com on Sunday. It was a performance that was eerily similar to what we saw 11 months ago, the old course at St. Andrews, the one birdie that Roy McIlroy made in the final round at LACC came on the first hole, a two putt from about 35 feet. That was it. The rest of the day he spent birding edges, missing high, missing low, missing short. He said his speed control was off a little bit all day. What, what, it, where, where are you landing on this? Rex, he ultimately falls one shot short uh, it looked for a while like it was potentially going to be three or four shots uh, that he was ultimately going to finish behind before we had a little bit of late drama. Do you think this was one that's really going to sting Rory, or is this something that you think he can get over easily? Uh, I'm going to defer my time to the senator from Ponte Vedra Beach because I know you wrote a column about him, and I know you're just dying to get to the heart of your column. I, I do want to make two points, however. Uh, I was writing Ricky Fowler, and Ricky came in the media center after Rory, and I was I, I, I panicked. There was a moment where I thought, oh, maybe they're not bringing Ricky in here. So I sprinted for the back door right as you were asking your question, and I never heard Rory's answer to your question, which I thought was a good question. So I do want to hear that. However, the one thing I did sort of just dig into right, like as I'm sprinting out the door, and in Rory's last five events, 
And I think he's been, you can make an argument that he's been roughly in contention at all five of those events. His final round scoring average is 71.6. And I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I'm not going to sit here and try to psycho uh, analyze it because Rory's almost impossible at this point. I think you and I both can agree to the idea that we both steered away from him. when we had a chance to pick him on Wednesday. We didn't. When we had a chance to pick him on Thursday, we didn't on Friday and Saturday. We did not because I think both of us saw what we ended up seeing today where he's just slightly off. And I don't know if that's physical at this point or mental. We've talked about the ball striking. We've talked about his swing, not 100%, 100% being there, but something is missing. Something is missing. You kept waiting for, Rory to seize the moment, uh, and that moment just never came. I don't think this will be quite as crushing as St. Andrews. There was a lot that went into last July, right? Like you had the whole live drama that was that was swirling around. You had the 150th Open, uh, which was obviously going to be a seminal moment uh, in the game's history. You had their golf's return to St. Andrews. You don't know how many more times, if that was going to be the final time that Roy McIlroy is going to be able to try and win at the home of golf in the prime of his career. Like there was a lot building to that and to have the performance that he had that day where he hit all 18 greens in regulation. His only birdies came on a pair of two putts. He got lapped, not just by Cameron Smith, but Cameron Young as well. That felt really demoralizing. That felt really dispiriting on a day that he could have gotten gone out and gotten it which we saw that Cam Smith did shooting 64 on that day for him to shoot 70 uh, just felt like there was some sort of mental barrier today here at the U S open. I, I, I didn't quite feel that way, Rex. Um, I, I thought he played plenty well enough to win and he was agonizingly close on a lot of putts. You look from a ball striking standpoint. I mean, he, he lapped the field in strokes gained, Green. I thought what the game plan that he had set out with caddy Harry Diamond was was excellent. He he didn't hit driver as much. He put the ball in play. He made sure he stayed out of that tangly rough. Uh, he, he he pounded the greens in regulation steady. He hit eighty one percent for the week, um, and he just couldn't get the putts fall to fall. I mean, he shot he shot two seventy one. That is the lowest score ever by non winning player in, in in a U.S. Open. I think this is easier to get over because I don't think he did necessarily anything wrong. Yes, he's going to rue two mistakes. He you know, didn't hit the hole from four feet on eight. And on 14, he said he misjudged the wind, and that led to a pretty uh, ugly bogey uh, on the lone par five coming home. Other than that, I mean, he played pretty good. Like He was the best ball striker in the field, and it just wasn't quite good enough. Uh, I would agree with you. I did. I want, I, I was going to go to the idea of the miss putt on number eight and then the wedge, obviously on 14, because those, those were the two things. And I always find it interesting when a player can, can break down an entire round too. All right. I'm going to go through all 70 of my shots. And these are the two that didn't work out like I wanted them to. Rory's better at that than most players are. I, I tend to agree with you. I, I, I don't know that this one is going to sting. Certainly you compare it to St. Andrews last, last year. Absolutely not but it was still a really good opportunity. And I, I tweeted it as soon as he said the line where if he has to go through a hundred Sundays like this, just to get to his next major championship, it will be worth it. And I, I thought it was like, it was a signature Rory line 
where all of us scribbled it down, all of us ran to our laptops, all of us went to our phones to immediately let it, let it go out in the world because I think it showed a perspective that only Rory seems to have a lot of times. And that was maybe the part that was I was hung up with with him most of the week where he was playing golf without any joy in my mind. I think you and I disagreed on this last night, but I'll go back to the idea that he birdies the first hole and that's it essentially for the rest of the day. And there were scores out there. I mean, Tommy Fleetwood shot 63. So you, you could go out and you could get a score. It was a, it was a slightly different golf course because Tommy played earlier. But the idea that you let another one slip through your fingers. I, I know he's not going to beat himself up like he did last year at St. Andrews. I get that. But he, he I still think he beats himself up. Oh, he certainly beats himself up. I had a lot of scenes in there, like him coming out of the scoring area, um, kind of just – he was just standing there staring at nothing, just waiting for the sound of the crowd to know that the outcome was, was official. That felt like a moment for me when he was standing with Cara uh, um, on the, on the TV podium waiting to be interviewed. They're kind of flashing the images of, of Wyndham hugging his caddy, hugging his brother, hugging his sister. And he's just like, he just looked pained, you know, looking at the TV monitor Um and the grief eater, you being the grief eater, just ate it all up. No, no, oh, no. Of, of, of course. I mean, the, the, end, the end of my story is him kissing Erica, walking to the car, saying goodbye. And it's just like the two of them leaving the courtesy car, like knowing that another tournament's in four, day, four days, uh, another major championship begins in 32 days. And all he has now is, is, is just another reason to believe. Like that's, that's, that's what's keeping him going at this point like he knows he's playing well enough he just needs to keep him keep putting himself in that position over and over and over again you have to almost admire the way it, and kind of the, the feeling that he has that he's not afraid to get his heart broken because he's he's continually doing this over the past 3200 days he's just getting his heart broken again and again and again and it is it is weird now rex for for someone who has is as highly accomplished as roy mcroy is it feels like he's starting all over again. Like it feels like he's trying to win his first major. It feels like he's Xander Shoffley or Patrick Cantlay or, or any of these, or, or, or Ricky father, or any of these other, you know, best players not to have won a major. You kind of have to lump him in that category because he's getting his heart broken and he's the one who's accumulating so much scar tissue. I was watching Rory rock out of the, uh, interview room tonight and I, I went back to it was like three years ago and I remember asking Jack Nicholas something about uh, a U.S. Open at Marion where it was one of his 19 runner-up finishes in major championships and he couldn't tell me anything like I'm trying to I'm, I'm filling in the gaps for him and he's got no details which if you ask Jack about the 86 Masters he can tell you shot for shot he can walk you through every single shot he hit that week and every memory and everything. And he's the same way on all 18 victories. And I've discovered over time that Jack doesn't remember anything about the 19 losses. He can tell you everything you need to know about the 18 victories. I wonder as time passes and we get towards sort of those later years in Rory's life, if he remembers anything about the losses or if it's going to be all the victories, which you would like to think they are. You'd like to think it's a happy ending to this particular story. I will say now that I'm a little bit afraid 
because I ended my story with a very, very similar scene of Ricky Fowler leaving the locker room with Maya, his daughter, and his wife getting in the courtesy car as well. So we may have been the cliche brothers when it came to uh, finishing up our stories tonight. But I, I think as far as to put a bow on scenes, on, Rex, people love scenes. You have to take the reader where they can't go. There's a reason why we have these. Oh, it's wow. because there we can go. go places and props. Very good. <laughs> is that we can go places that people on site cannot go and TV viewers cannot go. We have a we are we are beholden to provide information, Try to provide to. scenes. And so Try that's to. At least, that's at least what we're trying to do. Uh, I will say this though, as I finish up, I was with uh, Ricky in Wyndham Clark's group, the last group, and you were with Rory. And I think you and our our paths crossed uh, on the 16th team, on 17th day, and. Uh, I will I had, say I had, to, I had to really go to the bathroom. If I saw you and ignored you, I apologize. Uh, I don't think you saw me. So I, I think I was just kind of coming up the hill. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I will say this. I, I think that the crowds in L.A. have gotten beat up. I, they, they've taken a toll and probably rightfully so, because my, my take on L.A. crowds are they're late arriving and early leaving. So it's essentially a Lakers game that we were just at for the last four days. However, I can tell you that over the last three holes, I'll give it. Like the crowd told the story. It wasn't quite Augusta. It wasn't echoing through the pines. However, I knew exactly what was going on with Rory on the 17th hole, on the 18th hole, as I was back with the final group. And so kudos to the L.A. crowds. You guys didn't bring it all week. You really didn't even bring it to the last two holes, but good for you. It's actually funny. So I started my column with the scene from when Rory was on 17. And there was there's a there's a hospitality tent probably a hundred yards away. It was on the second hole, and all of the affluent Angelinos were sitting in there, you know, luxuriating, sipping their Chandon or whatever they're doing in there, and they're watching on TV as as what we find out later is Wyndham Clark lipping out the six footer for par on 16, which drops his deficit to a single shot. It was very evident what was going on like that that the the it was almost like a roar that that rang out it caused scotty to back off his bunker shot and it caused rory to like look around and try to figure out what was going on i think that was a huge moment in helping him believe that he was still in this golf tournament i mean it was certainly i thought rex a really tense tournament over the final two hours Mm -hmm. there were some dynamics that can be improved i think uh, over the next 16 years before the u.s open returns to lacc one of them there were no video boards there were no tv screens all there were were these little leaderboards and oftentimes they didn't even show the leaderboard it was just like the groups and where they were positioned by the time you know the final groups are 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 playing out the last hour it's who cares where where tony finau had, had finished at that point. So the lack of TV screens, I thought was a really weird experience and did not help um, the people on site have any sort of inkling what was going on other than the people in the chalets. Secondly, there were so few people on 17 and 18 T you never see the penultimate and the closing hole of a tournament. Well, you can't get to 17 or 18. I know. Street. Like, no, that's what I'm defense. saying. Yeah, I, I'm saying, their, like, that's not an LA problem. That's a that's for, an LACC problem. Yes, yeah. for, like, there are some clearly logistical issues with that golf course and trying to navigate up a rank. But I've never seen a major championship be so quiet in the decisive moments 
just because of the, of, of the logistics. I mean, there couldn't have been, there couldn't have been more than 500 to 1,000 people on the 17th hole. There were literally zero fans on the 18th tee. Normally, the 18th tee is one of the most dramatic places on the entire golf course. The 72nd hole tee shot, you know, trying to make sure that you squeeze one into the fairway and, and really um, sack up and hit a good one. There was no one there. There was no one. For Rory's group, there was 15 media members. There were six uh, videographers. There was a couple USJ officials. There were some. There were some volunteers. That's it. That's it. It was. It was a. It was a bizarre scene. I, like I did think it was better around the 72nd green than it certainly had been over the previous three days. But man, the penultimate hole of the tournament, absolutely dead. The 18th hole tee shot, absolutely dead. They have to figure out a way in 16 years' time to have to to inject more energy and a greater fan experience by the next time it comes here they they have to it's it was it was bizarre i'm never gonna not laugh when i hear the word branca for the rest of my life <laughs> well i'm i'm not the foremost no expert, expert on branca however, however eight minutes uh, dissertation. Uh, john bodenhammer john, john bodenhammer god love you um I will say this, and I think I'm going to write this on the plane tomorrow morning on the way home as a follow-up. I'm not writing anything for three weeks. Uh, three weeks? Wow. All right. I'll see you at the Scottish Open then. That seems extreme. Uh, I, I, I'm going to write this because, look, there, there's going to be plenty of things that people are going to take shots at for LACC. And I understand them. One of them is the crowds, and they're late arriving and early leaving, as I pointed out, that – Logistically, the golf course is difficult. The members uh, snatching up the general admission tickets, like that. That's the not, members, that's not like it was only twenty three hundred tickets, and and uh, the vast majority of them went to either members or corporate. So you, it, it wasn't a very good U.S. Open on that front. However, <laughs> John Bodenhammer, I will say this: it, it's coming back, and it's just not coming back one more time. I think this is going to be not a signature venue or whatever it is they call them, but I do think it's going to be in the rotation for a couple of reasons. One, TV loves it. They love the East Coast primetime finish, which I get. And we can, we can talk about that. Like but, an hour earlier. Well, yeah, okay. We, we can get into that as well. They love the visuals of being in right in Beverly Hills, right off Wilshire, all of the things, the Hollywood signs. So on that front, TV loves it. And then talking with officials – USGA official, officials, this is probably probably going to be the most profitable U.S. Open they've had in a very, very long time, maybe ever. And just because it was such a small footprint, you would think, oh, they're going to lose money. But no, there's such a premium on everything here in L.A. that all those chalets down the right-hand side, they were able to sell at enormous prices. So they made a lot of money doing it. TV likes it, which, of course, brings in a lot of money. We're coming back here. So to your point, they got to find a fix. Get more people on the golf course. Get more fans around it because the atmosphere was a dud. Yeah, people forget that. Like the USGA has a has a business run. The profits they make from the U.S. Open power and largely finance the other fourteen championships. You know, how else has a business to run? run? TV. I'm tired of hearing about commercials. I understand you you folks don't like commercials, but the folks in, on the TV side, and again, I know I'm jaded on this because I'm on the TV side, but trust me when I tell you this, they're not in the pro bono business. No comment uh, on the viewer experience uh, at the U.S. <laughs> Open. Didn't watch enough coverage. Wasn't listening to it. Wasn't paying attention, People to be honest. Happy. When it comes to LACC, I loved it. I loved it when I played it. I thought it was a great test of golf. Are there? Are, is, it a, is it an imperfect great golf course? Yes. There are a number of fairways in which it doesn't matter whether you hit it down the left side or the right side. It all collects 
in the same area. If the golf course does not play firm and fast and fiery, uh, then you're going to have the the type of scores that we had uh, this week in which people thought it wasn't necessarily as demanding of a test as it should be for our national championship. But look at the scores, Rex. Look at the final scores, the 72-hole scores. The, the, the lead after one round was eight under par. The winning score ended up being 10 under 270. Uh, they essentially dropped anchor just as we predicted they would on Thursday, the USGA did nothing to trick up this golf course. They didn't put, they didn't cut holes on on crazy slopes. They, you, you know, they didn't choose alternate tee boxes that players weren't prepared for. There was none of that talk from the players. It was basically from a design standpoint, whether they liked it or they didn't. Brooks Kepa didn't like some of the blind tee shots. Matthew um, Victor Hovland uh, didn't like uh, some of the other uh, uh, architectural elements to it. That's that that's disqualifying for criticism of a U.S. Open venue. You're not supposed to like it. It's not supposed to be universally acclaimed. This was a great test of golf. The leaderboard was proof of it. I can't wait for 16 years uh, when we come back here, even though I will certainly not be covering this golf tournament, and you two could definitely actually uh, be, be long dead uh, since then. Uh, however, the whole mission of the USJ now to bring the U.S. Open to the best golf courses in America I think that is aspirational, uh, and I think uh, I can get behind that that very premise. Are you going to lean into your bad stat? Go ahead. I'll let you do it because it's, it's a bad stat, stat, and it just got worse. Roy McIlroy has never won a tournament in which single digits under par one. He didn't, he didn't win this one either, though, Rex, and the winning score is double digits under par. And you feel good about that? Yep. What were your What was your take on Ricky Fowler? Not gonna lie, did not see a single of his seventy five shots on Sunday. Dropped from a share of the fifty four hole lead all the way down to T five, potentially costing himself a spot in the Masters next year. Although uh, he is comfortably inside the top fifty if he maintains that position through the end of the year, he will be exempt into the year's first major. What was your take on Ricky in what? Uh, regardless of what happened in the final round, I thought was a very encouraging performance and another uh, step and reason to believe that he's back. Uh, I don't think he's worried about next year's Masters, to be quite honest with you. And I don't think he was particularly worried about today. And it was another missed opportunity. And we can go back to what we just said about Roy McIlroy, that you only get so many of these, that they seem like they're going to last forever, but they don't. Like you get to the end of your career and you realize, I mean, I think Arnold Palmer talked about this, having never won the PGA Championship. And you go through your entire career and you're thinking, well, eventually I'll do it and I'll win the career Grand Slam. And suddenly it's gone and it's over and you realize how fragile it all was. I was taken by the idea that Ricky has been in this position so many times. I think he is two for 10 now with 54 hole leads on the PGA Tour. And he is 0 for 43 in major championships in his career. That goes all the way back to 2008, the U.S. Open just down the coast at Torrey Pines. That's not a great record. However, I think if you look at everything Rory has, uh, Rory, everything Ricky has been through, what am I saying? Steve, <laughs> what are you even saying? What am I saying? Augustus. Um, Only Augustus. <laughs> Steve Sands made a mistake at the Masters, and he and Live and I have fun with it. Um, if you go back and you look at the last two and a half years and everything that Ricky has gone through, and I love the idea that, okay, if anyone is going to have perspective on a loss, a loss this hard, a loss that you realize that a lot of people are going to look and be like 75. That's really, really bad. 
given the fact you started the final round with a share of the lead. It was going to be Ricky, and he didn't disappoint. Like I said, the, the scene that I got was him hugging Maya and holding hands with his wife as they walked to the courtesy car, and he was going to move on. He actually called it great when I asked about it. And he was like, look, man, like if you would have asked me last year when I was a first alternate and didn't get into this event and I was ranked outside the top 50 in the uh, top 150 in the world, hey, next year you're going to be in the position to win. You're not going to get it done, but you, you're still going to have fun and you're going to give it a good run. I, I'd love – the idea that it was sort of the full range of Ricky Fowler, that he started as this sort of marketing you know, magician. He sold everything, flat brand hats and mortgages and everything else that people needed to sell. They, sell, they sold through Ricky. And yet somehow during the process, the style and the substance sort of came together. And he became this really, really good golfer, as well as this really, really good person. And I don't know that he ever gets a major championship. They're really, really hard to win, even though Wyndham Clark was able to do it in just his fourth try. I, I will say this. If you need to appreciate someone for the journey, I, I think Ricky is one of those guys I appreciate for the journey. Oh, I totally uh, agree with that. I mean, it was an incredible story that we were gifted here for four days hmm. at the U.S. Open. I'm not sure anyone realistically expected Ricky Fowler to win. He had not won in four years' time. Uh, to, really? to, to to expect him to do so in golf's toughest test with a swing that obviously is showing tons of signs of encouragement and progress, the work he's done with Butch Harmon, but it's still, I think, far from a uh, finished product. To think that a player with a two-for-nine record with 54-hole lead who has never shot in the 60s in that position was all of a sudden – Two for ten. Going to have going to have 10. all of this. Two for ten. Now he's now he's, now he's two for ten. Uh, mm-hmm. Was going to have all this hashtag perspective and, and get it done. I think was was probably a little bit unrealistic. And sure enough, he had his worst ball striking uh, performance of the week. He had his worst uh, scrambling performance of the week. He had his worst putting performance of the week. Made just forty seven feet worth of putts. I don't think that diminishes the story and in how good it is to have a reclamation project like Ricky Fowler back in our lives but i also but i but i also think rex the 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 perspective which which might be good to hear i don't think that's going to do anything for the critics of ricky fowler who said that Mm -hmm. he's he's too soft and he's he's too nice of a guy like i i want to see a little bit of red ass when you don't perform in that position like maybe that's just not his disposition he's won five times in the pg tour including a player's championship like he knows what it takes to win but if you're a critic of Ricky Fowler, I think this probably just gave you a little bit more fuel. Well, and I, I wrote that, that some of the things he said tonight probably come across as a loser's lament, right? Like that's of course what the loser's going to say. He has to say that. What's he going to say that I'm going to go home and, and, you know, drown myself in the tub. Like, no, that's, that's not what's going to happen. And it's definitely not what's going to happen with Ricky. Like, I mean, your angle was Rory. And I think it probably hit Rory a little bit harder than it hit Ricky simply because of where much, they're at. In their, much yeah, harder. Where they're at in their careers right now. And, and it's kind of, you have to, it's relative. Like, is the loss going to hurt? Yes. But is it going to hurt relative to Rory? No, absolutely not. Is it going to hurt relative to Scotty Scheffler, who I would argue had just as good of a chance? Like, I, I, I think we sat and talked about this podcast on this podcast last night about man, Scotty has one of those ball striking days like we know he can have, and the way he's been putting, he could win this, even though he started the day three strokes back. I believe that's right. Mm -hmm. In this particular case, 
I, I think relative to all of those other guys, Ricky's going to be on a plane to the Travelers Championship tomorrow, and he's going to be like, mm, had a good shot. I, I'm, I feel good about my chances at Royal Liverpool. Uh, I, I mean, that was the place where he finished second, uh, mm-hmm. gave Roy McIlroy all he could handle back in 2014. Uh, the th- second to last major championship for Roy McIlroy. Boy, that feels like a lifetime ago because it was a lifetime ago, Rex. That, as I put in my column, it was more than 3,700 days ago. That was before Brooks Koepke had finished his first uh, season on the PJ Tours, before John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler had gotten out of colleges, before Rory had a kid and before he had a wife, before men before were measured by their millions, before COVID, before he needed to know about board meetings and conference calls and geopolitics. Like that was a lifetime ago. Public investment funds. And that's, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I keep coming back to is that he has to relearn how to win a major championship, but I have little doubt when Roy McIlroy wins, not if he'll win another one, when he wins another one, uh, it's going to be particularly sweet uh, because the amount of heartache, the amount of frustration, the amount of disappointment, the number of times that he's been asked about all these close calls uh, will only make it more rewarding when he finally get one. Rex, I'll see the stage to you. Your final thought, the 123rd U.S. Open, before we turn our attention to the Players' Championship, and in 32 days, the Open Championship. Uh, I said it to you this morning. I can't wait to get to the Open Championship, which was weird considering that it was at the end of a very long, uh, grueling week, and we've had a lot of 15-hour <laughs> days, so that's not entirely enjoyable. I love Royal Liverpool, and I love the Open Championship. And so that part I'm looking forward to. The other half of, of it is, had you not killed me, I was also looking forward to coming back to LACC. I think golf will be better. Apparently, I won't be around to enjoy it. Uh, I won't be around to enjoy it either. Uh, our friends are you uh, going to be dead be too? Or... Uh, if I don't get my cholesterol under control, uh, there's certainly a good chance uh, this hernia that I uh, apparently have as well uh, is going to need to be getting checked on shortly too. Uh, the only press tent will be occupied uh, by by robots and AI, uh, but I'll be watching it uh, at home most likely with with kids who'll be getting out of college. My God, that's so. So, so, so far away. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. Happy belated Father's Day for all those around the world who are listening. We thank you guys for watching our hits on live from. Thanks for listening to all of our mini pods each and every day from this U.S. Open. Thanks for reading all of our stuff on GolfChannel.com. We'll be back next week for a full recap of the Travelers Championship. Yes, yet another designated event on the PJ tour. Hopefully Rex, he'll be sifting through uh, some lawsuits. Uh, hopefully you'll have some more no dirt more. on no any sort of information that comes from this proposed tour Saudi deal. Oh yes. We had a four day reprieve. We're very much back on that. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Talk to you next week. Can't wait to get to Hoylick.